Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, a look at upcoming special elections in Tucson and Cochise County. Some registered voters in southern Arizona will soon be getting a ballot in the mail. Two municipalities will hold special elections next month. In Tucson, voters will decide whether to renew Tucson Electric Power's agreement to use city-owned easements for another 25 years while also adding a fee to fund efforts towards a large power line project running through central Tucson and also put money in the coffers of the city's climate initiative. Proposition 412 has endorsements from Mayor Regina Romero and four of six city council members. Among the council members who have not taken a position on the matter is Ward 6's Steve Kazachik. His office was the site of an information session. Um, sort of how, the, way, the way it'll work is that Joe will introduce his team and then go through a presentation. Um, then we'll do a Q&A at the end. And, um, While some in the in-person crowd were there to learn and speak with TEP's representatives, many were skeptics. The Buzz producer Zach Ziegler and production assistant Phil Howard attended the meeting and spoke with people afterward. Among them was Jonathan Salvatierra. As a retired railroader, I had some influence in understanding some of the energy needs of the city and how they were manifest by the use of coal, first of all, about 20 years ago, when TEP was burning that at their Irvington plant. And somewhere after my, my retirement, around 2000, I got involved with the uh, Park Euclid uh, Superfund Hazmat site, Mission Linen. The agreement itself seems so, so rushed that it was really uncomfortable to me to see certain elements of it under cost-benefit analysis that could be separated entirely because that's infrastructure. And the public is very interested in that. But TEP, I don't think, has that very high on its agenda. So that concerned me. And then the, the things that came out in, in the meeting tonight, you know, the fact that uh, one of the boards will have control over this, uh, this little funding uh, measure that will generate 3 to $5 million a year. Joe Sillins is active with a variety of local environmental causes, including the Tucson Climate Coalition. I've been following the Climate Action Plan and uh, also the franchise agreement renewal with TEP recently, and um, I've kind of been startled by the suddenness of the, of the agreement, kind of coming to a vote, and part of the content, um, you know, I think in terms of the uncertainties related to climate change and everything and um, yeah the need for drastic action now on climate you know I think the commitments the conditions aren't necessarily binding or um, really that ambitious on climate and so uh, I kind of came out here to get more information and to hear what both the city and TEP had to, to say on the matter you know I really um, don't think I'll support it just because I think that um, we need to be taking a much stronger stance on climate uh, given its urgency and, and this being a major opportunity uh, to um, a leverage point to use for TEP. 
seeing something more aggressive, uh, more binding would be uh, what I would like to see, you know, and, and if nothing else to send a message that, uh, you know, people are demanding climate action now. And, you know, I think TEP can be a, a reliable partner in terms of uh, implementing the climate action and adaptation plan. But, you know, their primary motive is to return revenues for stakeholders and they're not going to make commitments unless the city demands those. Ron Proctor says he wants Tucson and TEP to take more rapid action on climate issues. We know that we are up against the wall in terms of trying to find a way to work our way out of this climate change mess that we are in. The franchise agreement comes up now every 25 years, so 25 years ago was a lot different than it is now. We, we, knew, then, we knew then about climate change being an issue. Now it has become so much more urgent that unless Tucson Electric Power becomes a partner with Tucson, and I'm going to suggest it becomes more or increasingly more of a social contract rather than a financial contract to supply electricity, but we are taking into account what TEP could possibly do in partnership with the city to get us to carbon neutrality and staunch the bleeding that's happening with climate change. There is continual growth happening in Tucson right now, and there is an increasing need for electricity, and that's good in the sense that electricity, if it's produced with renewable energy, can be carbon neutral, and it would be a good thing to transition to that on that basis. But there are other ways of looking at how electricity can be distributed that are more a kind of choice that, that the population can have here in Tucson. Robert Cook is a former chair of the Tucson-Pima Metropolitan Energy Commission and a strong proponent of solar energy. I've been working in this field for, for many years. It seems that uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was a rushed deal. Uh, there was no public hearing. There was, there was no uh, time for, for the community to, to listen and to, to provide feedback. Because of all of the uncertainty in energy markets and battery technology and uh, climate change, we think that uh, locking ourselves into an agreement for 25 years regardless of the specifics, is unreasonable because there will be so much change. We know it's happening, and uh, we need to have a uh, much more uh, of a one-to-one -one correspondence in terms of control over, over our energy future. And so a much shorter time period would be much more acceptable. Bruce Plank thinks the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan will play a major role in developing Tucson's future and I think it overlaps with the franchise agreement. And while the franchise agreement is going to provide some money, a little bit of money for the climate action plan, I don't want everything to um, go away about the, the need to have some serious funding and serious staffing for the climate action plan. So that's why I'm here, is to try to make sure that people keep both the franchise agreement and the climate action plan in their view.
TEP has a very clear line on this and a position, and I thought their representative um, did a very uh, nice job of explaining the TEP position. I think that a lot of people correctly challenged him on some of the underlying premises, like why can't TEP do more solar? Why can't TEP get rid of coal and natural gas sooner? And, you know, frankly, he basically deflected those and said that's not part of the program for tonight. Hopefully, there are going to be a lot more discussions in public about those very things. And TEP, I believe, has started to understand that people in Tucson want more solar. They want to deal with climate change. They recognize how important it is to, to do things differently than the TEP business model, and hopefully that's going to happen. Ojas Sanji attended the meeting virtually and spoke with AZPM on the phone. He's a member of the Arizona Youth Climate Coalition. When I first heard about the franchise agreement, I mean, you know, they just dropped it on us, and they had, like, the public comment session the next day. Um, so there's already, hard, like, little to no time for anyone to look over and read, like, what this 25-year agreement with TP is actually going to do. And given, like, for almost most of the countries and of the Tucson's emissions come from the energy generation, I think it's this this franchise agreement is like the perfect opportunity to get TEP to commit to um, climate neutrality and reducing carbon emissions. Um, and there's nothing in that it actually does that concretely. But I mean, we have three, four years until it expires. I feel like the city of Tucson had a lot more leverage it could have employed with TEP, um, and it should have employed because the city of Tucson declared a climate emergency. Um, but yet, when this kind of opportunity lands in their lap to act commensurate to that and get TEP to decarbonize, they don't commit to doing it. Among the Tucson Electric Power representatives at the meeting was utility spokesperson Joseph Barrios, whom I sat down with the next day. I started by asking him why Tucson Electric Power would spend almost a million dollars to foot the bill for this special election given that a city election is months away and there's still more than a year left on TEP's current franchise agreement with the city of Tucson. This really started with the, the need to improve service for our customers. We've been talking about the Kino to DMP transmission line for a number of years. And when we first started talking about it, we had actually planned to have that line in service by this summer nature of the project is uh, is to build a line that will not only replace aging equipment but it will also provide uh, additional capacity so that we can serve customers future energy needs we're big planners uh, we we sort of have to be we have to look forward and try to determine what maintenance needs to be performed what kind of upgrades need to be performed on on the system and this was a project that we identified and have been working on for, for some time. The need to upgrade our infrastructure, that still holds true. So throughout this process, there's been some, I don't know if urgency is, is the exact word, but you know there certainly is a need for us to continue uh, upgrading our facilities. Given the concerns from neighbors and other stakeholders about what the line would look like, talking with, with city officials, incorporating that into a new 
franchise agreement seemed like a good solution to address the concerns of everyone involved. The 25-year nature of this franchise agreement, some people may say, wow, that's a really long time. It sounds like in some ways you're saying actually 25 years with the speed things change is not that long at all. And that's fair. I mean, when we when we build our systems, when we invest in our local energy grid, we do so with a mind toward building it to serve customers for a long time and through sometimes some pretty tough conditions. I mean, if you even have a basic appreciation for what our system looks like, it runs throughout town. Uh, we have poles and wires and substations with transformers and other equipment inside of them. You know, we really need to build that infrastructure to withstand the, the elements to be able to serve customers through the winter, through the summer when energy demand is high and everyone is running their air conditioning system. So, you know, the point being, when we build our equipment, we build it to last. And so having a, a franchise agreement um, that extends 25 years, it, it provides some stability and, you know, knowing that we can continue to maintain our system. Uh, because if we install some poles or wires or other equipment, it may last 25 years and even longer than that. This new agreement adds what's called a community resilience fee of three quarters of a percent to a customer's current bill. That money for the first decade of the agreement is supposed to cover upgrades and line burial projects like we were talking about. Some people have said, gee, I'd really rather see that money go towards climate resiliency first. How do you answer them? For starters, you know, I think it's important for customers to know that we are pursuing our own plans to provide cleaner energy to customers. You know, we have this goal to provide 70% of our community's power from renewable resources by 2035. And that will result in a 80% reduction in carbon emissions. Today, uh, well, at the end of 2022, about 25% of the energy delivered to customers uh, came from both wind and solar resources. That's both rooftop systems that customers own, but then also uh, that's the energy that comes from the wind and solar facilities that we maintain. We're working to get there as fast as we can. So we are pursuing our own plans. This new franchise agreement and the new community resilience fee, it would provide a funding resource for the city's climate adaptation and action plan. So we've heard those concerns, but I think it's important to remember that while we are pursuing our renewable energy goals, if approved, this agreement would support the city's efforts to achieve its own sustainability goals. And, you know, really, we're working toward the same thing, more clean energy for our community and for our part, for TEP's part, to do so while maintaining reliable service. When you talk about those renewable goals and at the same time upgrades and things like that, rooftop solar becoming more and more popular, do you all have to upgrade infrastructure down to even transmission lines to handle more and more rooftop solar basically going the other way during the, the peak of the sun hours? There are circumstances where we may need to adjust our equipment to accommodate the needs of customers that are installing rooftop solar. So there are circumstances where that occurs. 
Last year was uh, a record year for rooftop solar installations, which is great because we know that's something our customers support and they invest in when they can. From our perspective, we're continuing to work with them to bring more solar to our community. You know, most customers, even if they have a rooftop system, uh, they don't have a battery system, at least not yet. We know that they continue to rely on us for reliable service. When a typical rooftop system generates the most energy, that's actually earlier in the day. You know, like most customers uh, during the summer, for example, they need the most energy a little later in the day, say four, five, six o'clock when temperatures are as high as they're going to be. They're still in need for us to provide them with reliable service as well. So after the first decade of the franchise agreement, that community resilience fee can then either go for climate resiliency or burying more power lines. So 10 years down the road, who makes that decision? How does that decision get made? Those uh, spending decisions will be made by a, a committee that'll include two representatives from the city of Tucson, uh, two representatives from Tucson Electric Power, and then a fifth representative that both the city and TEP uh, agree to. So knowing that voters have a mind of their own, we've talked about what a yes vote means. What does a no vote mean? If this fails at the ballot box, does that mean that TEP is out and the city has to start finding a new electrical provider? <laughs> um, no, it doesn't. To be clear, we are hopeful that voters will approve the measure. It really would support um, maintaining reliable service for customers, uh, particularly through throughout the Midtown area, and it would support future energy needs, uh, which are only growing. Having set new peak energy use records in both 2020 and 2021, you know, the, the new line will support reliable service because it provides more capacity to serve customers. If it's not approved, uh, you know, we have identified pieces of equipment that serve customers throughout the Midtown area, down to poles and wires that are in poor condition and are in need of replacement. We would take steps to either re replace or maintain equipment to maintain service. That still leaves us in a position where we would have to find some long-term solutions uh, so that we could operate our energy grids at a higher capacity. When we look into the future, uh, we have to anticipate energy needs going up. We expect that there could be greater energy demand due to electric vehicles, for example. And the available capacity from the system that is currently in place, the system that serves homes and businesses throughout the Midtown area, it doesn't have the capacity to meet those energy needs. So if it's not approved, will the lights turn off tomorrow? No. Uh, is it going to present challenges for how we provide reliable service in the future? Well, it will, because we still need to look for some long-term solutions, and we will need to determine how are we going to meet those growing energy needs in the future. All right. Well, thanks for spending a little time with us. Thank you so much. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, and if uh, customers are uh, curious about what they're going to be voting on, we invite them to visit our website. That was Tucson Electric Power spokesperson Joseph Barrios. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. 
we're looking at upcoming special elections in southern Arizona this week. In Cochise County, voters will have a say over the creation of a new jail district that would add a half-cent sales tax for 25 years to fund an estimated $100 million facility, replacing an undersized and long-outdated county jail. Summer Hom reports that as ballots hit voters' mailboxes across the county next week, residents and elected officials have plenty of opinions regarding the addition of a new sales tax levy to fund the project. The special election centers around the greater need of constructing a new county jail. The county's jail in Bisbee was built to last 20 years and hold 168 people. It is now double that age and has been modified to hold nearly double the inmates. Jail Commander Kenneth Bradshaw says that the facility's design was never up to date, even back in 1985 when it was built, and its infrastructure has created health and safety concerns for the staff and for the incarcerated. Like I said, our infrastructure is horrible. Last summer, we had to run our entire facility off of basically a big, long extension cord. In November and December, at the height of when we were just getting started with the beginning of the new smuggling law, we, our population was 320, 325, and our highest was 336. So that means that we had people on the floor. That means that the guy that's doing 24 hours because he had one too many martinis at the BMW and got caught on his way home, has to be in the same pod with the guy that stabbed a bunch of holes in somebody you know that was uh, downtown Sierra Vista. So that's not safe for the inmates, and it's not safe for the staff. If approved by the voters, the tax would raise about $8.5 million per year for 25 years. Spread out over the county's population, it would cost an average of about $67 per resident per year. Cochise County Administrator Richard Kowachika says that the reason why the county decided to propose a sales tax levy instead of a property tax levy is to reduce the overall cost for residents annually. So in order to capture that same amount a revenue, that $8.5 million a year. Uh, the calculation came out, we need to do a 31% increase. That increase in property tax would cost Cochise County residents about $16 a year more than a sales tax would. Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniel says that the initial estimated total cost for the jail was $92 million. That's a lot of money, and I respect that. So I went to Gail Brooklyn last year, your state representative said, Gail, I need your help. Commander and I went up there, we stopped the uh, capital for about three months, and we came home with $20 million that we have till 2027 to use the offset cost. And I bring this down to $72 million. Karwachika says that the estimated cost of the facility is now closer to $100 million. A county spokesperson says that the levy will completely cover the costs of the construction, maintenance, and operation, and adding more staff to the jail. If the sales tax is approved, it would generate about $212 million in total over its lifetime. Residents in the county are generally in favor of constructing a new jail, but some differ on how the funds are being raised. During the town hall meeting the county hosted in Sierra Vista in March, Sierra Vista resident Carol Welsh says that she's in favor of building a new jail and using a sales tax to fund it. I support anything Sheriff Mark Daniels says. We need a new jail. I am. 100% convinced of that. When asked about her thoughts on the proposed sales tax, Welsh says she's in favor of it. 
One thing I really like about that is that any money spent in Cochise County will contribute. So that means we have a lot of visitors here. We have snowbirds that come. And so that way, any dollars spent in the county, whether they be from residents or not, will be contributing to it. Sierra Vista resident Joe Craps says that he's also in favor of the construction of the new county jail and the addition of a sales tax to fund it. We, we have to do something. And it's a very, very expensive process. Mark has a problem down there. And we've got to solve the problem. Can we solve it another way? Meaning, is there another funding source? I wish the money just fall out of the sky and we wouldn't have to worry about it. I don't know the better way to do it. Kraps says that he doesn't like the idea of adding a property tax because it limits your pool of revenue to only those who own property in the county. A sales tax is everybody, not only those that live here, but those that visit here. And it just, it's, I think, the best overall way to accommodate the funding. However, not all are in favor of funding the jail through a sales tax. Wilcox Mayor Mike Laws says that while he's in favor of constructing a new county jail, He's against raising taxes. He says that Wilcox's sales tax is currently at 9.1 percent, and if the half-cent sales tax is approved, it would be harder for businesses to compete with neighboring Safford and Thatcher in Graham County. Because you come out of uh, New Mexico, and they're at 5.5 percent, 5.75 percent tax. And he goes, I can't come to Wilcox and buy anything. He said, I sure as hell wouldn't at 10-something percent. He said, when I could drive just as close to Douglas and get it for less. For better words, we're just taxed to death. According to the county, Douglas has the highest sales tax currently at 9.9%, followed by Bisbee, Benson, and Tombstone at 9.6%. Sierra Vista, the largest municipality in Cochise County, has a current levy just over 8%. Wilcox City Manager Caleb Blaschke says that both Thatcher's and Safford's tax levies are currently at 8.6%. Mayor Laws says that instead of adding a sales tax, he recommends that Sheriff Daniels lobby for more funds at the state legislature and seek a partnership with Fort Huachuca and U.S. Customs and Border Protection to seek out additional federal funding for the jail. They do listen. There are some good people, really, in government that, on both sides of the aisle, that understand, and you, but you got to know how to tell them. The last day to register to vote in Cochise County's special election is April 17th, and ballots will be mailed on April 19th. The county recommends voters mail their ballots by May 10th. For The Buzz, I'm Summer Hom in Sierra Vista. And that's The Buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer, and our production assistants are Phil Howard and Samantha Larnett. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.